Welcome to the next in a series of Ask a Chair podcasts brought to you by SAEM Rams. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining in to listen again. I am here with Dr. Robert McCormack. He is the Chair of Emergency Medicine at the University of Buffalo. Dr. McCormack, thank you so much for joining us and taking some time away from the sunshine here at the retreat. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. All right, let's get started on some of the questions. So you were previously a vice chair and an interim chair. How do these roles prepare you for your role now as the chairman? And what are some other leadership positions earlier in your career that you think helped prepare you for the role that you're in now? I was, in the last year of my residency, I was selected as chief resident and went from there to a faculty job at Boston University Medical Center, where I was an assistant EMS medical director. And then I moved to Buffalo and was the faculty physician for two years and then was asked to be the site director and uh, was site director for a busy 45,000 academic ED. And then uh, went on to be the chief of service for the hospital system for emergency medicine and then the vice chair of the university department and then eventually chair. You know, I think each role has added uh, leadership experience and just kind of taught different skills along the way. I think being a chief resident is an invaluable opportunity because you're making decisions and you have agency for your peers. As a physician, I think we're all leaders in that we're making decisions for other people often when the decisions are complex and we do that frequently, but making decisions for your peers is definitely a different set of skills or a different comfort level. And so I think being chief resident certainly gave me that exposure and I felt like I kind of had an ability to do that. And then once you become site director, it's much more, uh, you know, I guess chief resident was about the schedule and making sure things were fair, but being site director, it was more about operational issues. And so you learned how to problem solve and and deal with people's problem cases or had problem behavior. You kind of learned how to deal with that. And then as a chief of service of a whole hospital system, you really thought about issues about how do you uh, figure out people's skill sets and, and abilities and vice chair is kind of putting it all together. And I was in a role where the chairman was near retirement. And so I had a very gradual transition into the chair role and that I was kind of doing a lot of it before I formally got the title. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was more human resources and budget management kind of decisions. But I think each leadership opportunity obviously teaches you different things. I would encourage people to, even if it isn't the job you desire quite yet, I think you can learn things from each step of the way. That's a really nice segue into our next question. During your career as a physician, you've participated in several leadership development opportunities. Um, The Harvard Medical School Leadership for Physician Executives and you received your MBA while you were in practice as a physician. How do you feel that these advanced your career, and would you recommend similar experiences? I think they did advance my career, and I would recommend, I think it's really, you know, an individual, personal kind of situation of the value of each of these. I did some of these, the Harvard course was, you know, four or five day, very intense course, but it put me with a lot of people from around the country who were starting to make the moves I was as far Mm -hmm. as climbing the leadership or administrative ladder. And it really gave me exposure into who my peers would be later in life. And I think that was very valuable. I did the chair development conference uh, or program in the AAA CEM sponsors. And I think that was a fantastic opportunity, probably mostly for meeting other 
chairs or mm-hmm. other would-be chairs, and it really, in a small group, exposed me to the kind of decision makers in emergency medicine, mm-hmm. and, and it's definitely been the beginning of friendships and working relationships that I've now developed as a chair. The MBA is always a huge question, I think, um, for students and residents alike. Students often get this opportunity to do a fifth-year medical school and mm-hmm. get their MBA, and then residents, some residency programs are doing something like that where it's just one more year, and I think it's put out in front of them much more frequently than it used to be. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think we all know that medicine is a business, and you really need to be able to make those kind of analysis of a financial situation or of a value situation. And I think that a lot of younger physicians or medical students get the advice, well, get the MBA because, you know, one, you might want to be the decision maker, run a hospital, run a group, and that can help. Or the other is that you want to have the same credentials as maybe the CEO of the hospital. Mm -hmm. Uh, You want to have that same piece of paper. I did it about 15, 20 years into my career, and it was a great experience for me. But I had learned a lot of it along the way, Mm -hmm. Um, school of hard knocks kind of thing. (laughs) And so I don't know if I got a ton of actual knowledge out of it, but I got a totally different way of thinking of things. And that's Mm. really this kind of value equation that Mm. the MBA kind of teaches you of really looking at things objectively and saying, what value do they bring to the equation? And it's, it's helped me negotiate contracts with the hospitals and do the business of medicine in a very positive way. I thought it was a great experience. I still struggle. You know, I see the adding one year of medical school or while you're still in school, getting it done. But I also think having life experience was very, Mm -hmm. very important to the value of my MBA. And so I'm really torn. Like, I think it comes down to an individual circumstances. I think you probably get more value out of the MBA if you had five or 10 years experience Mm -hmm. to really build upon it. But I also realize the reality of while you're on that track of education and maybe life's responsibilities haven't caught up with you quite yet, Mm -hmm. it's easier to get it done. Mm -hmm. So I think doing it straight out of medical school is probably the biggest value there is just the credential, the piece of paper Mm -hmm. that might open doors for you later on. I think later in your career, it can be valuable for really rounding out your skill set. And I think, you know, some physicians' numbers are not a natural for them. And Mm -hmm. so I think it can really help with that. I kind of had a business sense to the world to begin with. So I didn't get as much out of that, but I think a lot of physicians do find that they learn about the numbers in the MBA program. Excellent. Looking at an experience that's maybe a little bit closer for some of the residents that are listening, and that is the first faculty job, what are some things that you look for in a new faculty hire? It should be an enjoyable period. You know, you finish up your residency and everything's been competitive to this point, um, Mm -hmm. and now you're the wanted commodity. Mm. So I would encourage people to have a positive attitude about it, but interviewing for a job is always nerve-wracking, and Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us have trouble putting our assets forward, and so talking about yourself and promoting your own case can be awkward for a lot of us, And but I would encourage people to enjoy it because it's a well-earned opportunity in life that now people want you. When I interview, I really basically assume everybody's smart that I'm not testing their intelligence or their intellect. I'm not trying to figure out, are they smart enough to do this job? I think residency training has, has, you know, medical school and then residency training has proven that the candidate is smart enough. So I don't spend a lot of time in that. And certainly, you know, we don't try to figure out what do you know or what do you not know because it's, it's just, you know, it could be a very misleading kind of conversation. 
So to me, it really comes back to what is their personality like versus mm -hmm. what is my group's personality like? And so is it going to be a good fit? Do they want to be here? You know, what is their interest in our program? And so I spend a lot of time in the interview really trying to figure out what they know about us, what they like about our program, and then what they think they can add. So again, you know, you're a wanted commodity as a well-trained emergency physician, but you're still on an interview. You're still mm -hmm. on performance situations. So you want to put your best foot forward and you want to sell yourself. And so I think you really want to figure out what that program might need or what you can bring to that program. And so I really look for work ethic, which is you know, hard to assess in an interview, but you can pick out things people say that you realize that they're hard workers. Mm -hmm. I look for a degree of a humility that people realize that they're going to make mistakes, that we all make mistakes, and that, you know, you need to learn to accept mistakes you make and kind of move forward. So I really try to get that out of an interview is like, you know, can people relate to me experiences where they had where they realized they mm -hmm. could have done a better job because I think that's critically important going forward. And then Probably the last, you know, but if somebody can really explain to me what their passion is, what their interest is, and how it's going to help our program, that really puts them among, stand out amongst their peers. Excellent. Speaking of some aspects of the job market, when you volunteered to help with this podcast series, you mentioned that you were interested in academic community hybrid development. And these are really some of the hottest jobs on the emergency medicine market right now. What advice do you have about a resident, for a resident about to graduate, about the pros and cons of this type of job and how to secure one of these highly sought after positions? So I'm chair of a, what initially was an academic group. We have two hospitals and a VA, so three hospitals that are our core academic faculty and our mm -hmm. residents train there primarily. But a number of years ago, we expanded. We took over a community group that were basically all of our graduates, but were feeling threatened by a larger contract management group. And so they asked for me to employ them. And I kind of took over what was a successful democratic group, and they became employees of the practice plan, and we created this separate division. So we have an academic division and a community hospital division. And the community division continues to grow because we're providing a great product. And so all these little hospitals around us are asking us to staff their ED and we just continue to grow. You know, Buffalo, I'm, I'm from the University of Buffalo and Buffalo is kind of a small community. And when we graduate, we have 16 residents a year and usually somewhere between four and eight of them want to stay in Buffalo. Mm -hmm. And so we really wanted to create jobs for them. And so now when somebody comes out or they're coming back to Buffalo or just interested in coming to Buffalo from externally, we really kind of figure out, you know, where do they want to work? Do they want to work mm -hmm. in an academic environment or a community hospital environment? And then we'll kind of fit them into that right niche. But there's certainly people that come out that aren't sure or are trying to figure out what's best for them. And I really think there's two answers. There's no right answer to this. I think that people graduating a residency, if they work in a busy community hospital on their own, alone, and maybe not even busy, just a more remote hospital where they're really on their own, I think they learn their own speed, their own way of seeing patients, of kind of working the board, different than in a residency. And I think mm -hmm. they gain a lot of knowledge that way and a lot of skills. You know, the alternative is to come right out and go into an academic program where you kind of, 
usually there's a lot of other people around and mm-hmm. it's probably harder to figure out your own approach to things when you have residents asking you and students asking you and other influences around you. So I think this is the advantage of a community hospital of really figuring out your own skill set and your own style. The academic programs, it's not as easy. On the other hand, once people get used to the community hospital style, it's very hard to go back to academics. It's mm-hmm. not impossible. We have a number of faculty members who have done that. But probably the biggest reality is community medicine, emergency medicine makes more money than academics. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, two or three years down the line, it's tough to take a salary cut to go back to academics. So we put a fair number of people 50-50. They work mm-hmm. half in the academic environment, half in the community environment, and the people who have a natural ability to teach tend to migrate 100% to the academic environment. So I think, you know, the hybrid job is really good for somebody who is either not sure or wants to develop their own skill set or style without the residents around. And then one final question. When in your career did you know that you wanted to go into administration? Was this something early or something that developed a little later? And then what advice do you have for the business-minded medical students and residents out there? I think life is what happens to you. Uh, I don't think I sat down and said, I'm going to go into the administration of medicine. Or I think, you know, I graduated residency and I was sure I wanted to be in an academic program. And so I went into an academic program within a year. I had found my wife and I moved uh, because she couldn't to Buffalo. And, you know, my career kind of progressed along there. If I had stayed in Boston, I very well may have gone down this EMS track. I was worked in New York City EMS before medical school. And mm-hmm. I could have, you know, gone down that EMS administrator's track and kind of gotten into the government affairs kind of side of things. When I went to Buffalo, I was only there a year or two and the site director was leaving and I was identified as somebody who might have the right skills for that. And mm-hmm. So the job kind of presented itself to me and then I just took it from there. You know, if you had been asking me in residency where I thought I was going, I probably would have said a residency director. But, mm-hmm. you know, life has a way of moving you along to things uh, that are needed at the time. So I don't know if it was an actual conscious decision. I think it's always good to have a strategic plan for the future. But, you know, sometimes opportunities present themselves and you need to move forward with those. I think for physicians who are looking to get into administration, I think that there's a million jobs that need to be done. Being willing to do those jobs, some of them often are not particularly attractive or Mm -hmm. are a little burdensome. But I think kind of making your bones on those jobs and showing that you have the skill set and the eligibility and life is made by the decisions made by those who show up. And and so making sure you're aware and present, um, I think, are probably the most important skills. I don't think formal education like an MBA is required. I think in certain circumstances, it might be a good thing to do. It might enhance you, but I don't think they're required in, in any shape or form. Thank you so much, Dr. McCormack. We really appreciate your time. I know that the medical student listeners and the resident listeners appreciate hearing what you have to say, and it's been a pleasure to talk with you this afternoon. Thanks. Thanks.